Hello and welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I am your host, Jess Park Humphreys, and today we're going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive into me official. Um, this is obviously a signing that took place during the World Cup. Uh, everyone has probably now since seen her play for Chelsea in the pre-season friendly, but we didn't really get a chance to dig into it then because I was in Australia, everything was super wild. So we wanted to sort of still take some time uh, because she probably is our most expensive summer signing, to be honest. Um, I think we paid more than we did for Shukunuskan for her. Um, so I'm joined today by Abdullah, as per usual, and also a very special guest, Theo Lloyd-Hughes. Theo, how's it going? Welcome to Blue Royalty. Hello, hello, hello. Behind enemy lines on the <laughs> my favourite Chelsea podcast, or one of my favourite Chelsea podcasts, shout out Fan Cubby Fight Club. Stop stop shouting at our competitors. No, we're a broad church. We're a broad church. It's Chelsea a broad podcast. church. Uh, it's absolutely lovely to be here. Can't think of two blues I would rather be spending some time with. Lovely to have you with us. Um, now, for anyone who doesn't know Theo, Theo is based out in the great big US of A. Yes, he is Flo Lloyd Hughes' brother as well, in case anyone wanted to figure out that connection. I, it would be amazing if I knew two separate Lloyd Hughes's, but I don't. They are related. You'd be amazed how many people think we're not related, actually. Really? Including, if he is, lis- if he is listening, my good friend Eugene Rapinski, who uh, has a really good substack about Liga and Mackey's, um, both men's and women's. He It took him about two years, and then, it, and then the penny dropped, and he sent me a very funny message. So you'd be amazed. Okay, well, good to know. That's why we had to get it out front. Um, but Theo does obviously work in, in the, the US covering women's football. So felt like a, a perfect person as, as someone who keeps an eye on, on what's going on in Mexico and, and also sort of uh, has, has his finger on the pulse in terms of obviously relating to me as an American player. Um, so for anyone who, for some reason, managed to miss all this, because maybe you were like me, just in a World Cup haze, uh, Chelsea did sign Mia Fischel from Tigres, uh, joining on a three-year deal. Uh, sources saying that the transfer was about $250,000. Um, Emma Hayes said on the signing, Mia is an exceptional finisher whose box presence and movement make her elite. She can also create something from nothing and her prime years are to come. Paul Green added, Mia is a born goal scorer and we think that she's at a great age to take the next step in her career. We're really excited and feel that her pace and power, pace and power clang, Jesus Christ, Chelsea, is going to be a big asset for the team in the upcoming years. Actually, hilarious because I feel like we'll maybe get into this, but that's just a very weird way, I think, to describe me official. But hey ho, let's ignore those racial undertones in that one and move on. Abdullah, what were your initial reactions to this signing? I think we've discussed this sort of on and off, but let's just recap on on where you're at with with signing me official. Yeah, I first first initial reaction was I was I liked the deal. I liked me official coming over because I think we've heard so much about Mia being one of the very few exceptional American players that just never gets picked for the national team because of playing in 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 Mexico and I'm like she scores so many goals. Why haven't you given her a try? And you just keep hearing that. And then suddenly the official signs for Chelsea. You're like, hold on a second. Is this that same player that's been not playing for the US but is really, really good? So my initial reaction just based off all that was, oh, wow, we got a goal scorer. Then my second reaction was, hold on a second. Sam Kerr is there. Why are you signing another? Like, what, what? How is this going to work? So I think if I'm going by initials, my initial thing is, yeah, I like the signing off the bat. But my question comes down to role and what she's been promised because there's no way she leaves there to come here to play like less 
very fewer minutes if we're going by past history comparison. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, um, I think we can have a good discussion about that. Uh, and it, it is interesting, right, Theo, because I feel like lots of people probably felt that Fischl was due some kind of other move. Um, but maybe the club came as a bit of a surprise. Was it Was it a surprise to you to see us sort of end up at Chelsea? Not at all, actually. Um, I think, you know, you've got to remember the NWSL is a very odd league. And for players who are, you know, in that top tier and have good management, maybe a lot of self-confidence, it's not maybe the league for you. You know, you've got to look at someone like Kat Macario who had similar kind of exceptional performances in the NCAA who, I mean, actually, while we're, while we're talking about Kat, Kat and uh, me actually played on the same kids team together. They're both from San Diego. So that is a reunion of sorts. They grew up together. Um, we're both kind of part of the exceptional kind of Southern California, you, you know, young young girls soccer scene. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, kids like this, they they really believe in themselves and they say, why would I get involved in a league where I don't have control over my agency uh, until I've given three or four or five years to the league? Uh, I get drafted. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know where I'm going to play. You know, maybe my contract isn't going to be very good as a young player. You know, I think she was got a better deal in Mexico than she would have in, in the States. She obviously didn't fancy the coach that took her in Orlando. And you're going to play more games. You know, in, in 18 months, she's played 65 games or something. You, you, that's not going to happen in the NWSL in the same amount of time. And she also played for a, a, a club which is a, is much more dominant so you're going to get more opportunities to score goals. You're going to get more chances. That's much more like the WSL or other European leagues, right? The way they're built. So in my head, the move just makes so much sense. And I think the way she set up her career, it's it's sort of it's built for being an elite player at an elite club, which in a league of parity in the NWSL, you know, that's not for everyone. Yeah, it's definitely, she's made some really strong decisions throughout her career, which I think have been really interesting. Obviously, she excelled at, at UCLA, where she went to, to college. She was coached there by Amanda Cromwell, who ended up being the coach who drafted her for the Orlando Pride, picked fifth. Um, well, I was take... just going to add that, yeah, and then who ended up getting suspended from the league. <laughs> yeah, so take from behavior. that what you will. <laughs> so Mia was on it. She was smart. She said, hey, I'm not going now. I've you know, had her as my coach for three years. I know it's her. Yeah, so so moved and and went and played at at Tigres. So she's basically been there for for about two seasons, and then obviously now looking to make the move to to Chelsea. Um, Theo, just to like start like from a US perspective, why are people so hyped about Fischl? Because I think she is a player that like most people will have heard of, but also like you know the view on both. Uh, U.S. national team's dramas in terms of like who gets selected and who doesn't and Mexican League, it, you know, from us, it feels quite far away. The time zones aren't great. Like, give us sort of the insight from where you are. She scores goals. Again, she has a lot of opportunities to score goals. It's, a, you know, there's more games out there. It's a more dominant league for the top four or five teams in Mexico. But she has been scoring at a clip that I don't know if anyone apart from, say, Sam Kerr, can really back up. I mean, I, I have her down as, as scoring 44 kind of competitive goals plus a couple in, in the kind of Mexican community shield. So if you've got like 46 goals in the space of 18 months, she hasn't even played two seasons. She's played like one and a half. That's just unbelievable. No one in the NWSL, even Sophia Smith, really comes close to that, even in, in you know, if you break it down goals per minute. So when you've got an American just blitzing through defenses consistently, I just, I think the attention on her has been huge. And 
Tigres have a huge fan base. They're massive online. They know how to promote their players. They know how to make great content and, and give you highlights at a much better production quality, I would argue, uh, in the Mexican League than the NWSL. And so you have a player who looks the part in every department, whether it's her skill, whether it's her statistics, whether it's the kind of the content, the, the narrative, if you like. And so Big Fish, you know, as she was known in Mexico, I think is is a fan favorite. And, you know, you've kind of, she's just been knocking on the door, and knocking on the door and everyone's saying, well, when can we give this player a chance who, you know, is part of the US uh, youth national team, has played under 18s, under 16s, under 21s, you know, at UCLA. It's not like she hasn't played in the US. She was part of the San Diego Surf, which like I said, is this elite uh, girls club down in, in Southern California. So it's she's not come out of nowhere. And she's just banged in, you know, more goals than than Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith, albeit not in the NWSL. Um, so, you know, especially after Mal Pugh got injured, I think there was a lot, a lot of calls to get her in. Yeah, definitely. And and maybe we can touch on that in just a moment about why that didn't happen. Um, Abdullah, what, what do you sort of make of of Mia Fischel's career path? Because it is funny, obviously, now that Kat Macario is at Chelsea, although we are in this sort of weird zone where because she's not fit it almost doesn't really feel like she she is at Chelsea it wasn't until I literally saw at King's Meadow that I was like oh yeah like you are here and will presumably play for us at some point um but yeah Theo's right to sort of point out that parallel in terms of a player really like taking control of themselves and I think we've seen this we've seen American players maybe get a bit more confident with this over the years in terms of feeling like they will get a chance on the national team although maybe this uh, the official example shows that isn't the case but you know in the past obviously players have seem, seemed reluctant uh, American players to, to go outside of the NWSL in terms of how that might affect their opportunities um, but I think it, it's really exciting isn't it to see a player who's who's willing to take risks because I think that's what like going to Mexico felt in some senses in terms of that ability to maybe get swallowed up and forgotten yeah yeah i agree and, and i i think i think she might even be paving the way for future american players to just kind of show that there is a pathway outside the nwsl kind of going on theo's point of, of agency and kind of not knowing where your next contract's going to be and anytime you want to leave the nwsl you you know your rights are then stayed with the with the parent club over there and then you can't go back to somebody else and it's, it's very complicated right we've even seen it with Lindsay Horan lately only when Leon went and paid like 250,000 euros to buy her out of her contract and everything there, she's able to permanently move across to France rather than those constant loans that a lot of these players end up doing. Um, I, I think I think it will be interesting because if at Tigres, obviously we've seen her stats, we've seen her score a bunch of goals, you know, regular on a regular basis. I think if she can even replicate half of what she did in terms of goals scored and the appearances for Chelsea... And then from there, kind of maybe, let's just say, for example, she makes a jump to another bigger, uh, another big European club. But as a first-choice striker, does really well over there. And maybe towards the end of her career, I say late 20s, maybe early 30s, heads up to the end of the USL. She kind of almost does this. Absolutely, <laughs> you're writing of... a whole Wikipedia page for her. <laughs> Why is this Mystic Meg? I love it. I don't, I don't, I, listen, we were going for hot takes. I'm just going to go for the career path hot take for this one, right? And then kind of go towards the end of the USL at the back end. You're like, well, you've kind of done the reverse American way of getting into the team where you've done Europe first, really established yourself there as a as a player, and then maybe say got into the has to get into the national team at some point, a post-Flacco era, right? And then kind of shows up, look, you don't have to stick to the NWSL. You know, you can go somewhere else. Macario did the same thing, right? Was that was at Sanford, goes to Leon in her first year, does really well there, went to Champions League, now is at Chelsea, presumably gonna do really, really well here as well. And then the pathway goes and win the Champions Mia, League. 
and win the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. This is win the Champions League, right? So me official Cat Macario, they played together when they were young. They're going through similar career paths as well. So that's that's all I gotta say. Just to jump in with a little bit more Mexico context as well for those that I don't know how many of your listeners really know the league. Um, it's eighteen. It's eighteen teams, and which I think is pretty big, right? Jesse, you could probably tell me more. Like, how many professional women's leagues in the world of eighteen teams? I mean, Liga FA must be around that, but okay. not all of the, those teams are professional. So I don't know what the situation in, in Mexico is. I mean, yeah. the pay. So this is the thing. This is why, like, Mexico does remind me a little bit of the WSL, although it is much bigger. But essentially, it's required in Mexico that every men's team has a women's team. So the, the leagues mirror each other, their fixture list, the teams, the club badges, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously it doesn't necessarily require a certain amount of investment. So what you have in Mexico is, is sort of like a big five, what people call the grandes. And, and they really dominate the league. And Tigres is one of those. And so moving to Tigres is like moving to a massive European club in terms of fan base, in terms of the fans that come out maybe even more so actually. Um, and like I said, the TV deal in Mexico is very good because it mirrors the men's and actually a lot of the TV companies actually own some of the teams. So I, I always think the broadcast quality, the number of cameras is really, really good in Mexico. And so in terms of getting a professional environment, not having a salary cap and being at a big club with big club ambitions, you know, Tigres is right up there in the world as a Chelsea. And so I do think, you know, in the same way that Vlatko, you know, RIP has been, criticized for not taking mexico seriously i can understand that like top to bottom teams number 11 18 can be very poor underpaid under resourced in in mexico the pitches aren't great you know it's not a very professional environment but if you're at team it's it's completely different and i think it's really important to kind of emphasize that that mexico is a very top heavy league but those top clubs are, are really you know really making a difference and, and, and jenny Hermoso, i think being at pachuca was huge for Liga Emeki's kind of putting itself on the map and obviously, you know, having a World Cup winner. Yeah, fully. And, and you know, we're also seeing, like, it, Anna Maria Kornogutrovic has been linked to going to Mexico this summer as well. Former Barca, Andrea Pereira is at the Champions right now, Club of America, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen, like, Alex Chidiak, okay, a level of below, but, like, go, go and seemingly fill that sort of me official spot. Yeah, fun uh, transfer. Tigres. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and also on top of that, Tigres uh, announced, I think, last season that they've also got a bit of a deal going on with Bayern Munich, which it seems to be like a sort of knowledge sharing slash potentially player sharing, which yes. I think, again, goes to show that that's the, the European interest in looking at, at Central America and, you know, also, I guess, tangentially South America as well as a place whereby you know, maybe scouting is under-resourced and we saw at this World Cup that there are a lot of good players from from those areas who maybe get ignored. Um, Theo, just before we get move on to talking a bit about how Fischl plays, uh, I wondered if you could just sort of give people some of the intro and background on the Mia Fischl not playing for the US um, saga. I'm going to call it a saga because it feels Absolutely like on Twitter it's often been a saga. <laughs> I wish I had more quotes kind of in front of me from the numerous, like really stressed, numerous press conferences where Vlatko kind of sweated through Non, non-answers about why Mia wasn't called up numerous times, especially after Malpue got injured. And he always said like, oh, she's she's on, she's in consideration. He'd always say like, oh yeah, obviously I've watched Mia Fischl. Like I know who she is, but he'd always be like, you know, someone else just played better than her or like she, he would always kind of say that there's like this amount of players competing for this amount of role, roles, but he wouldn't really elaborate. So there was kind of this idea that like, you know, Morgan's locked in, um Rapino was locked in and then you kind of had like Lynn Williams Kristen Press 
I guess you know, Pugh was locked in before her injury, but then no, he was. He'd always kind of name these players who were competing for the same roles, which was like Rodman, Chris Impress, Lynn Williams, and I guess Fisher was sort of like fourth or fifth on that like left wing, kind of right wing role. Um, if you assume, yeah, like Morgan, Pugh, Smith, and and Rapino would have been locked in, and then the other ones were all kind of competing for that extra like fifth, sixth forward, and he would always kind of be like, oh yeah, you know, Fisher obviously we watch her, blah blah blah. Um, but it kind of the the saga really just it, it came from when she decided not to go to the NWSL in the first place, and and she was still playing with the U21s, and then she it's really after Carm Moscato arrives in Tigres and she just goes off. Um, she scores eight games in a row in the kind of autumn of 2022, uh, the which is the season that Tigres win the, win the championship down there. And she just goes nuts, scores her first career hat-trick, scores brace after brace. Like I said, scores, scores eight weeks in a row, um, which is really impressive. And at that time, you know, as we all kind of saw at the World Cup, Vlatko Ball is coming under a lot of criticism, is looking very crunchy, very awkward. And to be fair, at, at the time, Sophia Smith really was, there wasn't necessarily like the need for a, 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 a kind of a big US forward to come in, but it was all about consideration, right? And that's what people were looking at. You know, Ashley Hatch was always included in squads and no one really knew why. She's a bit of a penalty merchant, you know, very good finisher from close range, but why not give someone like Mia, who was 21, 22, the option? And it really just became a bit, a bit of a running gag, the saga. Like every press conference, it would come up and every press conference, Black would give a non-answer. He would never really say why. He would just say like, we're looking at her, she's on the list, but it's very competitive and we have this, this and this player. But he would never really say what it was. And so people translated it for, for him that he basically didn't take the Mexican League seriously. That was sort of everyone's interpretation of the saga. Yeah, which is kind of ironic given the the grand debate about like the quality within the NWSL as well. So um, yeah, uh, but I I I don't understand it because I think it's backwards. But I think your point that if you're going to see like Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith and all of those players locked in, I can see why. Therefore, you're maybe looking for something or someone different. Um, I definitely think in some of those press conferences, it's felt like. Vlatko's inability to articulate himself, made which was a theme throughout, made, made it, yeah, exactly. Made, because like you just said, everyone sort of then drew their own conclusions as a result. Yeah, I kind of wish he'd said, we aren't looking for a player that is like really good in the air because we don't want to cross the ball. Like, you know, Mia Fisher's yes. a better aerial threat than like Alex Morgan or anyone really on that team, apart from like Lindsay Horan. So I think that would have been something that we could have brought up, you know, people brought up and be like, oh, she's so good in the six yard box. She's so good in the air. And it's like, well, I wish Flacco just said like, that's not what we're, we're looking for because he kept picking, you know, Ashley Hatch and, and Midge Purse, Megan Rapino ahead of her. And none of those players were coming anywhere near the amount of goals. Even, like I said, even this season, Morgan and Smith are not, I haven't been as potent as her. So. Yeah, well, it'll be definitely an interesting one to look at going forward. Uh, we'll take a quick ad break here. And when we come back, we'll talk a bit about how official actually plays. So um, if you watched the preseason opener against Roma, you will have got to see 65 minutes of Mia Fischel. Um, she had a pretty quiet start to life in a Chelsea shirt, I would say. But um, it'd been a long time since she'd played. Uh, I mean, it's not really competitive football. It's friendly, is it? But it'd been a long time since she played uh, football. So I think there's a bit of rustiness there to, to explain some of that. But Abdullah, what, what are your kind of first impressions of her? within that that Roma game and how she looked within the Chelsea team. And then maybe we can talk a bit more about, you know, her her greater body of work, let's say. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think first impressions was um, uh, a little bit of rustiness. Obviously, it looks like she has been played played for a while, so there, there was obviously that, and obviously the connections with um, with her, her new teammates. I think was something that that, that 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 she'll work on. But what I will say is, I I did quite enjoy her uh, her link up play, her back to goal play, particularly. I think was was probably a highlight for me in terms of her back to goal. I think at Chelsea. While Sam is a really good all-round striker, she's really good at maybe turning back to goal but making those quick spins in behind. That's what Sam Kerr does really well, off the shoulder, off the left, off the right channels. Um, when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to her uh, when it comes to her other game, I think it's I think it's it's it was interesting because um, the fact that Chelsea now have a striker that can play back to goal but also be able to play those those passes in behind. I think I was looking at a few of her clips from. Uh, from from Tigres and a lot of her through passes, quote unquote, were her standing back the goal, nice neat touches in and around behind the defender, and then running in behind or, or running in with the with the with the player that went through. So I think we can see elements of that. So I think I think overall, I think her link up play for me was the thing that stood out the most, and what I'm really interested to see because we've got so many players like Kankovic and like Kirby, Wright, and who can kind of run in behind and make all those moves. So having someone like that to be able to facilitate that, I think, is, is really good. Yeah, I think when you watch more official, I think it's easy to see her kind of come in as a goal scorer and then kind of watch her first game at Chelsea and be like, huh? Because there weren't a whole lot of like runs, for example. There were some, but I think when you watch more of her play, you see that that the link up is really like one of her, her great assets. Um, but Theo, obviously the goal scoring is like the biggest pro. Um, at Tigres, she averaged... This is by Y Scout, which is sometimes a bit shonky, but let's go with it. 0.8 goals per 90, 0.14 assists, 3.18 shots on shots, and then 0.6 XG. Um, the 3.18 shots would put her just outside the top 10 WSL forwards last season, but the 0.6 XG per 90 would put her third um, behind Daly and Bunny, I think, basically. Uh, so in conclusion, she doesn't take like, an insane number of shots. Like Bunny Shaw, for example, takes about five shots a game, but she takes shots from good positions. Yeah, I think good positions is is a great way of putting her play. I mean, this is a player who I think only scored, by my notes, two goals outside the box out of 44 in 18 months. Um, she's a massive threat, six, eight, nine yards out. Um, very good at one-touch finishing. I think the the dribbling she does the I, I like the way you know Abdullah was talking about that back to goal play she's very good at, at holding up and then twisting out of of a of a kind of a press and then uh, taking the space and that's kind of the only time she really scores goals with multiple touches often she's looking for the cross she's breaking into space and and she's just finishing first time or or kind of sometimes they'll capitalize Tigre is very good at capitalizing on a on a turnover under Car Moscato. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think that six to nine yard box is where she was so devastating in Mexico. And people will, t- again, talk about the physicality or the lack of physicality in, in the Mexican league, especially with some of those lower club teams. And she was just so good at dominating. And I think what was impressive, if you are going to knock on her, is in, in, the second, in the second year with Moscato, is that a lot of her first year, the goals were against those weaker clubs and she would she would get a brace against, you know, Queretaro or uh, Santos Laguna, like these smaller clubs. And then in this in her second season, um, she was she really became, you know, clutch, as, as, as Americans like to say. She, she scored a 90th minute penalty winner against Club America, which 
um only four of her 44 goals were penalties by the way um but that was like a, a moment where you just saw really saw her like enjoy the pressure and you know she would break away against the best defenders in the league and be able to, to turn with her back to goal and be able to finish you know eight yards out into the bottom corner and I think that's it was really like the longer she was in Mexico the goals got better the way she was able to break out of presses got better and I still think the ability to head the ball from anywhere is her best attribute and and something that I think you just don't see a lot of players absolutely nail like the way she can flick the way she can it's such a skill it's kind of underrated but like she can head the way she would head the ball in Mexico was like almost like unlike anything I've ever seen. And it wasn't really hold up play. It was if she's, she's very good. Her touch is, is better than I think people give her credit for. And, and like you said, she can hold it up with the back to ball, but when she heads the ball, she's always going for goal. She would find the corners um, on crosses. And I just think, yeah, she was so devastating kind of eight, eight, nine yards out from goal uh, with one touch on her head. And I think that's going to be so good in the NWSL, especially with players like Lauren James and Guru. So I, I feel like her style of play is, is really perfect and she's not going to find the physicality of, of the WSL hard at all. Yeah, I think uh, the her aerial ability stuff is, is really funny because I think you're right. Like she she is great at, at heading the ball. And, and obviously, I think that's something that would probably attract Chelsea because Chelsea aren't afraid to just, just to play a lot of crosses. And that is how lots of their wide players do do like to play. Um, and obviously in Sam Kerr, you've probably got someone who you would, you know, I would argue is, is the best in the world at that um, at this point in time. Um, but when she's doing hold up play, it often feels like she's not as good in that sense at winning headers yes. from there it's very interesting which is really strange because this is what from watching her was one of my things of like she because she does love to play with her back to goal so much but it's almost like she still wants to receive it into feet and turn and it's very lauren jamesy in that sense of you know being like i'm gonna back into you i'm gonna back into you and then i'm gonna turn and go very quickly but when when her team whoever like i was watching her ucla watching her tigres try and put the ball into her she often like doesn't manage to win it with her head. It needs to come down lower. Um, and I think that's something that'll be really interesting to see whether she can develop. Because again, that's something that um, Kerr has been used for a lot in terms of having heading the ball over people and then having other players run in behind and looking to sort of hold up in that way. Um, Abdullah, you touched on, on link-up play. Um, I've got a quote from David Astell who, who wrote about official quite a while back, way before she she got the Chelsea transfer, um, saying, goal scoring is undoubtedly one of her key strengths. Making passes in dangerous areas and setting up teammates to shoot a goal is another area that she thrives in. And the fact that she has provided five assists indicates that she is just as dangerous when in these areas of the pitch as she is when in the opposing goal area. Um, this is definitely something that, that really, really stood out for me because I think when, obviously, like I knew that she scored a lot of goals um, and I was kind of really expecting someone not to like be a goal hanger per se, but like to spend a lot more time in and around the box than, than actually she did in reality. Um, she is really willing to drop deep. And what I really like about her is she makes very quick decisions um, in terms of how she wants to play the ball. And they don't always come off, but like when they do, they they look really, really good because she makes decisions quicker than often like defences can get back into shape. And that's what opens up opportunities for the other uh, players she's playing with. Um so I don't know if you want to talk a bit about like what you've seen of her link-up play. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That last point you made, I think, is super important because I think one of the things that I think a lot of times that when Chelsea do struggle is that their decision-making is really, really long. Like a lot of the players that try and pull things off, they don't come off. And 
I think we saw it in bits with Kankovic last season who brought that little bit of quick tempo, quick decision-making. Yeah, passes didn't come off, but she was playing those from a lot deeper and making those runs. And I think having someone who can play that up front, especially when you're trying to break down a Villa, a Brighton, a Leicester City, or whoever, who maybe will set up in a 5-4-1 or something like that. Um, and to break those teams down, to have someone who's big, strong, and be able to say, for example, get the ball to feet, make those very quick decisions. Yes, it may not come off three out of five times, but those two times it comes off, it looks fantastic. Like, you just look you just look at some of her clips on figures, a lot of those back-to-goal through balls are just like not even one touch. It's like the same half a touch, and it goes through so quite fast where the defenders don't even know where they have to go, and and the other players are already... And you can tell that the amount of times that they played together at Tigres where her teammates are not even waiting. They're just starting to make the run. As soon as the ball gets to her feet, they're making the run because they know that she's so good with those touches that that instantly she's just going to make those decisions. So I think that's a huge benefit for Chelsea's players uh, in and around there. And what I also um, think is useful is that it kind of now gives Chelsea's players who are deeper in Muskin and Aaron Cuthbert or Kankovic, if she's going to play as a number eight this season, or even Jesse Fleming we'll get on to later, they will be able to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more risky into playing those passes to feet, whereas Sam Kerr might be one where you, yes, you do can play it to feet and she can turn, but Sam Kerr, you can play in behind, you get those higher balls in and she heads it across, people running behind, or Sam Kerr will make those, those kind of looping diagonals in behind the defender. With Mia, there's a potential to play both Sam and Mia in certain games if you really want to, because they can, in a weird way, they can also complement each other. You have Sam making those shoulder, off-the-shoulder runs, and you have someone like Mia Fisher who could play the back-to-goal, hold the ball up, play those balls in behind, and Sam can run into it. And when you have that dual presence of two strong strikers up front, but both can do very different things, it makes it so difficult for the opposition. So Chelsea now finally, maybe even a way, have a better plan B than they maybe when they had with Beth England. And, and playing as a duo two strikers because to me it just feels like Mia official can play both as a solo striker but do all these things and complement the players around but almost you can play her as a two and I can see that working in, in, in when you need a plan B and you know you need to get a goal just put both of them on and then you can play and I think that's where I think a lot of Mia officials uh, I think real value I think can, can really come in if she's going to play these cameo games in most of her matches at least for the first six months. Yeah, and we've obviously seen, you know, Hayes play, for example, Kerr and Beth England together on, on a number of occasions. Um, and Kerr herself is someone who is capable of playing out, out a bit wider if she needs to or, or in a front two. Um, Theo, we've talked about the things she does well. Um, we have sort of briefly touched on some of the stuff that, that she might need to improve on. I think a word that's come up a lot when I've been talking to people about Fischl is raw. What, where do you think that like improvement comes in terms of taking her to the next level, ta- taking her to be a striker who can't be ignored at any level anymore. Yeah, no, I think the rawness is, is fair in some ways in that she is often at her best in a way when like she has less time to think about it, which I think is often like what people say about some of the best strikers is it's like instinctual or they've like, you know, practiced, so much on the training ground that everything comes really quickly but I think in in the in the games where you need to be more patient or if Tigres went a goal down maybe she would struggle when you've got to break down teams a bit slower and you've got to be patient you've got to like shift gears and play slow and then play fast and and she was better when you could just put the foot down 
Um, and like I said, she she kind of ended her Tigres career a bit cold. She doesn't score in the playoffs in her final season. Tigres get knocked out. Um, they can't even score a goal in the last two, the double leg uh, semi-final at the end there against Club America and, and, and she can't get on the score sheet. Um, so I think, yeah, the rawness is, is definitely real, breaking down teams, trying to be maybe more intricate. Um, you know, Tigres under calm Moscato were definitely known as being like really good out of possession and breaking quick. And it'll be interesting to see how she is when Chelsea want to really kind of like toe the needle and um, thread, 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 thread three teams that sit off them. Uh, I also think it's interesting, you know, in terms of development, like she played really centrally for Tigres. Um, so developing more as a wide forward, which is a little bit more of what she's done for UCLA and the US youth national team has, she's kind of been used more in that role. But for Tigres, she was really central and, and Jackie Ovalle, um, who's a really fantastic player, to be honest, should be getting a move to the WSL soon, Mexican winger. She provided so much width that it almost felt like she could move into the kind of the half space from like either side of, of as a center forward because there was so much width coming from her and, and Steph Mayor, who was the 10, would kind of back her up and it almost become like a mini 4-4-2. Um, so yeah, I think if she does have to play wide forward with Kerr in the same way Abdullah says it's exciting because it suits her game, I think that will be just a, a, a big leap for her because she is used to playing very centrally, um, albeit she has kind of the attributes to do it. Um, and then I think just shooting from more than 12 yards, like if we're being honest, she just like hasn't had to do it, I guess. In, in, from when you watch her in Tigres, she's able to crash the box and just get past players or like we said, swivel really well. So she can take, she can find the corner from eight yards. But I'm going to be interested to see if she can take shots from 18 yards and finish from 15 yards um, when players maybe close her down a bit quicker in the WSL that yeah patience getting her finishing even better from from less close range will be interesting those are kind of the things that are going to be hardest but like you said at the top actually i think something that's been really impressive is she's done she hasn't necessarily had like a bucket load of shots um and she's been really effective so even if you know we say she's going to cameo role i don't think she's going to need like high volume to score goals so mm -hmm. that's like a that's an upside um, on all the negative stuff is that she's used to you know maybe only having a few chances a game yeah, I think the the patience thing is definitely something that you can see at, at various points throughout her career. And I think even a little bit in that Roma game of just, you know, maybe when she's not getting the opportunities on the ball, she she finds a way to drift out of games. But lots of young players are like that. That would be like my biggest criticism of Lauren James probably right now, you know, in exactly the same kind of way. Um, and I do think that transition thing will be really interesting as well, because again, against Roma, they wanted to just sit back and let Chelsea come onto them and hit Chelsea on the transition. And there were points whereby it felt like Mia wasn't exactly sure what run she was meant to make as a result. But equally, I don't think that has to matter because she is so good at, at the link-up play. You know, I'd almost be more worried if all she did was, was score goals. But there is so much more to her game that I think when those relationships come, especially as, you know, we basically saw her play in a, a quasi-front two with, with Frank Kirby. Okay, technically there was sort of two inside tens in, in Kirby and James, but realistically Kirby was up alongside her for a lot of it. And if you've got another player who's going to make the run, whether it's Ker Kirby, whoever, um, it doesn't re it doesn't really matter if, if Fischl, say, wants to sit and wants to, to win the ball a bit, bit lower down the pitch. Um, we've started to lean into talking a, a bit about what her role could be at Chelsea, um, but we'll take another quick ad break here and, and dig into that a bit more after this. 
So, Abdullah, we've kind of talked about the potential of playing her with Kerr or with Kirby and what that might look like. But on the face of it, it feels like she is pretty obviously Sam Kerr's backup. Obviously, Chelsea haven't had another striker since Bethany England went in January. Um, do you expect that, you know, especially for this first season, we're mainly going to see her sort of filling in Sam's minutes, giving Sam the opportunity to have a bit of a rest as the season goes on, not having all that burden on her? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think I think with Beth England going, I think it was important for Chelsea to get someone who was of the requisite quality and maybe in a way uh, an upgrade on Beth England. I'm, I'm saying that with hesitancy because I... I I don't want to put, put uh, a disservice to Beth England's name. I think I think she was a, she's a fantastic striker, a really good goal scorer. But I think in terms of her all round play and the style of play, I think there is a there is a bit of an upgrade there in terms of her her link up and everything that we've talked about. Um, and I think it's it's a good alternative to have uh, at at the club. And I think after last season when we saw that Sam is susceptible to an injury, and it kind of like this year has been that that time where she got a little bit injured in the season. She obviously did her calf at the World Cup and she, she came back and really you know played quite well in the minutes that she had. But I think it becomes important now that before Sam gets overrun and, and burnt out and the injuries start to tackle, you know, uh, string along again, before that happens, let's just keep it where in games when you know you can rest her, rest her. Like those Champions League, you know, third and fourth games um, against the fourth place team, even the third place team. Uh, in, in some WSL games where you know that you can start a different team against a club lower down in the league. I think when you do things like that, <clears throat> then you need to have a quality backup. And I think someone like Mia could come in and, and, and really fill in the job and, and do it well without Chelsea suffering from uh, from, from really a, a big drop in, in quality. And I think at the same time, um, it helps that Chelsea's almost second team now is full of star quality players. And so I think having... Two quality players per position becomes the absolute norm for any top European club aiming for the Champions League and domestic title. So having both me official and Sam Kerr, I think, is the bare minimum that Chelsea needed, regardless of whether uh, how many minutes each of them are going to play. You just need to have two top class strikers in, in their position where maybe in Chelsea's case, you've got one who is very easily the first choice, rest of the second choice, but you need that competition. Yeah, and I think, Theo, this is something that's kind of interesting about Fischl's choice at Chelsea because we've talked about sort of um, the bravery and the confidence in terms of going to Tigres and, and almost like becoming the star there. Um, and obviously that's partly because she played really, really well. But And listen, there aren't many like top European clubs you could move to and then immediately become the first choice striker, like looking around. But with Chelsea and Sam at Kerr. At 20 years old as well, just to add that. At you know. 20 years old, yeah, exactly. But with Chelsea and Sam Kerr, like obviously you are very much backup, but equally Sam Kerr has just turned 30 or is about to turn 30. Um, in terms of like looking at the, those minutes and how much you might get to play, um, I'm kind of using Beth England as, as proxy. She got 255 in half a season last year, 870 year before that, 993 year before that. So I think we could sort of put her maybe in getting that like 900 to 1,000 minute benchmark. Is that a concern in, in terms of her development? Or do you think given that she played so much for Tigres, maybe this is the opportunity to sort of um, have, have an opportunity to say learn from Kerr, to look at how Chelsea have uh developed strikers because i think you know one of chelsea's real attractions is they have an incredible track record of of helping good players get even better and maybe therefore does it not matter that she's not 
going to play every single week as a result, at least initially? Definitely initially. I think in, in, in her first year in England in, in European football, I don't think the number of minutes will be an issue. I also would add that your, your numbers are based on WSL, right? WSL and Champions League. WSL and Champions League? Okay, well, if you, even if you add in Conti and FA, that could be an extra two to 300 minutes, let's say, minimum. So, you know, if she's getting over a 1,000 minutes all comps, I think that's really good for a 22-year-old. But yes, she's she's at the age where she's going to be wanting to play week in, week out. But I think at least for the first year, she'll be really understanding and she's gone there to better her game. She's gone there to go up in terms of, of, of you know, leagues the WSL is a better league than Mexico right now um top to bottom although like I said I think with the top clubs it's not the gap isn't that big but I do think it is obviously going to be a step up week in week out and I think she'll really accept it and I'm I'm almost more excited for that in a way because although Tigres had a lot of good players like I said Jackie and Steph and Uchene Kanu who's now in, in the NWSL was there at the same time as her I do think maybe in a way she will relish having a little bit less spotlight and maybe having less, you know, like you said about, you know, the saga of Vatco press conferences, like the WSL is very well watched and Chelsea obviously have a huge following over here, but the games aren't on at the same time. And maybe Chelsea's social media presence isn't as big as Tigres, if we're being honest, Um, which sounds crazy, but I think I really want to emphasize how big they are in North America. Um, So maybe it might take the pressure off her a little bit and, you know, for the biases of the US Soccer Federation, maybe it will get their attention as well. So I, I think for a young player, it's the perfect spot to be in and, and kind of sticking on that Sam Kerr backup role. I think she has all the attributes to be the next Sam Kerr, which sounds crazy to say, because obviously she's one of the world's best forwards, but she really has everything. And like I said, I think the only thing she could probably knock on me is, is maybe in the big games, um, she's she's not been as effective as she is in smaller games. And what what better player to learn that craft from and, and get that next little bit of your game than Sam Kerr, who kind of is the ultimate big game player who can be playing rubbish for 85 minutes and pop up and, and make it happen. Um, and then can also devastate and score a hat-trick against a small club, which I think is what we've seen Mia do really, really well in Mexico. So I think in terms of, yeah, having an apprenticeship somewhere, it's perfect. I'll be really interested to see how Emma Hayes used her. You've already kind of mentioned that ta- formation-wise, that might be more of an education for her. But in terms of learning right next to someone who I think is going to be a huge influence on her personal game, I just think she couldn't have chosen a better club. Um, and I say that as someone that doesn't immediately love Chelsea, but I just think uh, <laughs> I think it's such a good fit for Mia. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met Mia in Texas when they when they came, Tigres came through and played a friendly and she is very self-assured but also like she's a real southern california girl she is like chilled out off the pitch she's so laid back she's not really as big a personality off the pitch as she appears on the pitch if that makes sense on the pitch she puffs her chest out she you know she has really funny celebrations which i think chelsea fans are going to love she she's kind of all chat she's big fish but off the pitch she's actually like almost like a little kind of surfer woman um, who's like kind of zen and chilled out and just like very much knows who she is and like believes in herself. And I think Chelsea fans are going to love that. And I think it will be a really nice foil for Sam Kerr. Um, and yeah, like we maybe haven't talked about her enough, but her and Kirby, um, she played with Steph Mayor as a 10 who could kind of join the front line. And that was really, really big link up in, in Mexico. And I think if if Kirby's fit, they'll be, and they get minutes together, that'll be really cool to see. 
Yeah, definitely. Although some interesting parallels is then talking about Fischl off the pitch. I feel like that's very similar to how every time I've met Sam Kerr, like she just feels so chill and so self-assured. Exactly that same kind of thing. Like couldn't feel like further from that, you know, like self-belief and bordering on arrogance that you see from her when she's when she's playing on the pitch. So I think that's yeah. really interesting personality wise. I definitely wouldn't say Mia is arrogant off the pitch. She is. She's arrogant on the pitch, but she's not arrogant off the pitch, which is a really interesting kind of vibe. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to, to finish sort of off Abdullah, I think something that is really interesting that we've obviously spoken about uh, Kat and, and Mia knowing each other from from early age um Chelsea I just saw just posted a photo of them together go on the plane to to Portugal um but uh Mia also obviously played with with Jesse Fleming at at UCLA um there is a lot of sort of links and familiarity within this Chelsea team that extend beyond um just having played for Chelsea what kind of benefit do you think that might have I think especially with a younger player it's exciting when you feel like they're gonna have an opportunity to uh, to fit in really quickly because there are like familiar faces there for them. I think it's huge. I think, I think if you look at it from any sort of job, once you have people of your age, especially and, and, and kind of people, especially faces that, you know, I think that transition period of settling in, knowing about the club. And I think for Mia, knowing Kat, knowing, especially Jesse, who's been there for a while now, who knows the ins and outs of the club. It's part of the dressing room kind of popular figure, you know, really good friends with everybody. I think she'll help integrate Mia and Kat into that into that dressing room a lot quicker and a lot easier. Um, and I think that ultimately helps the relationships that they build both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, and, and kind of when we go off that, and then once they start playing together again, I think you will start seeing the uh, the Mia Jesse link up. I think that'll be probably the most prominent one in the beginning, just because they know each other really really well. And as one plays as a nine, one plays as a ten. You can really maybe start seeing how how that's gonna how that's gonna play out, and, and I think it helps Mia. Whereas, because Jesse knows, let's say how Mia plays, it then becomes a um, it then becomes very a lot easier for Jesse to maybe explain to a Frank Kirby, a Sam Kerr, or anybody else in and around her that she knows. Say, all right, listen, Mia really likes doing this, so maybe try doing this, or maybe try doing this, and kind of that whole integration from a from a, from a standpoint of, of playing together, I think I think really really helps. So I'm excited to see the link up. I'm excited to see how they um, how they end up going. And uh, yeah, Jesse Fleming, the me official link up. I think I think will be fun. All right, I want to finish off with a quick on the spot question, Theo. How many goals does me official score this season for Chelsea? Yeah, you know, you're just bringing bringing up those best England stats, and I was thinking that's got to be kind of the over under like eight, right? In, in WSL Champions League or maybe 10 all comps, 11 all comps. That's probably the where you want to see her. So is she going to go over under that? I'm going to say WSL only. I'm going to say seven. Okay. Uh, in what? Yeah, what we were saying, maybe 800 minutes or something, 700. So maybe one a game, one per 90 or one per 105. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for seven in the WSL, maybe, maybe 10 all comps. Yeah, I think ten would be a pretty good return for a first season at, at Chelsea. Abdullah, do you do you agree? I do. I just want to be a little bit more ambitious because this is what I'm going to do for the rest of the season, not every podcast. I'm going to say 
I'm going to say 10 in the WSL and I'm going to say 13 wow. all competitions just because I think there's going to be a game just going to score a hat-trick and then, you know, it's going to take against off. Vlatsnia or whoever. Exactly, Vlatsnia exactly. Something's going to happen and we're just going to take off. So I think 13 all, all comps, 10 WSL, we're going to go from there. Only Sam Kerr had double-digit WSL goals for Chelsea last year, just FYI. So that's, that's a my big, belief in that's the a big shout. And maybe the year before, no, Kirby would have had double-digit no, the year before. Yeah. Uh, a season without Frank Kirby and Panilla Harder, I think, meant that the goals really had to be shared around. I'm not sure if we'll, I don't think it will be. I feel like more players will get more goals. goals this year. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. I'll stick with my seven, yeah, yeah. but I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's good to be bold. All right. That wraps us up for today on Me Official. Theo, thank you so much for joining us. You were a delight, as you always are. Always a pleasure. Love to chat, chat a little League of uh, It's a great league. I know the uh, time zone isn't great for your listeners, but I'm sure there's Chelsea listeners all around the world. So, yeah, yeah I know. I, I, I mean me, basically. You, it's bad for, for you, me, personally. Well, If it means for you, what about me? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Abdullah. Really tough for you <laughs> and, the Aussies, and the Aussies out there. Um, but yeah, North American, South American blues. Uh, let's watch some illegal streams. Let's make it work. Yeah. All right, so that wraps us up for today. We will be back with you next week with some more Chelsea Women content. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>